episode number 52 of Bill and Dave's Excellent Podcast. Welcome to the show. My name is Dave. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at Bill and Dave Show and Instagram also at Bill and Dave Show. Facebook.com slash the Bill and Dave Show. You can email us, Bill and Dave Show at gmail.com. I don't know if you're starting to see a theme here, but it's all Bill and Dave Show because Bill and Dave's Excellent Podcast is so long to type. So we try and keep it short at Bill and Dave Show. Uh, make sure you give us a follow and all that. Thank you for listening. This is actually a special edition because right now on the phone we've got producer, writer, director, Megan Friels Johnson, who has a movie coming out called The Ice Cream Truck. I watched it last night. Now, before we get too far along in this interview, Megan, I have to ask right off the bat, we noticed that The Ice Cream Truck in the movie poster bears a striking resemblance to what we had in mind for a mobile podcast van. Was that your vision from day one when you came up with this uh, concept for a movie? Was this creepy-looking ice cream truck? It was never in my mind to have it kind of be some dingy van-looking thing with peeling stickers. That was never my idea. I think you kind of get into the details later. Um, But we, when I was looking for a truck, I scoured Craigslist and all sorts of other places. And I ran across these guys from a company called Laguna Vintage who restored old uh, milk trucks and bakery trucks. And I kind of told them my spiel and this is what I was doing. And and the trucks they had were perfect looking. And so I kind of convinced them to help me with this. And so the truck we had was very much on loan. Um, you know, we paid them to restore it to our specs. And, I mean, we couldn't have been happier. It, it really worked out with the film. So Yeah, it was perfect. It was so perfect. It was just like the, the perfect level of creepiness. Because that, that, that truck, even like in pristine condition is rather creepy. It's like an old, like milk truck. Yeah, Yeah, exactly. That's too funny. This one is called a Harvester Metro and it's, I believe it's, I kind of feel like it's from the fifties, not the sixties and Harvester Metros were bakery trucks. And the other trucks that these guys do are called Divco milk trucks. And, um, those were more for milk and yeah. So it just, it, the film is very much about kind of old-fashioned repressed suburbia, so it really worked with the film. And I mean, sometimes things are just kind of serendipitous. That it was far better than some 1980s beat-up ice cream truck that I probably would have found otherwise. Oh, absolutely! Things happen for a reason, you know. And, and it almost becomes a character in the movie, which is great. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, I mean, obviously the the the, the title, but um, so there were some things I found really interesting about this, and I've got a million questions about this film in particular. And, yeah. And uh, um, there's some things because I always find it interesting when when you when you're writing and directing a movie because it's a lot on your plate, right? You have this vision, and yeah. then you have to make it come to life, right? It's 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 all on you at at that mm-hmm. point. So. When you when when you came up with this concept, was it a concept or was there a character in mind that you had this story written around, or was the the concept there and you just kind of made characters to fit your concept? Well, the the ice cream truck was my second feature as a director, and I I have been writing quite a bit. I was a producer first, um, but once you know things got t- took too long to get made, I kind of forayed into writing and directing. So when I write, I write as a viewer. So I never really know where I'm going. I just knew that I lived in a house that had a ton of ice cream trucks all the time that played this song all the time outside my window. 
And I was like, there's got to be something there. And so as a mid-30s mother who loves horror, I felt like this is the character missing in the genre space. And, of course, there are some sprinkled, you know, here and there. But I felt like I could do some good with with that type of character. So I started with the character, and I knew there was going to be an ice cream truck, and I kind of just took it from there. Sure. I, I, and I love to, there, there's some, there's some visual, like, and, and I don't know if it's just coincidence or if there's some, uh, if, if there was a certain um, artistic vision that you had, but I noticed Mary's character, Mary's the main character. And, and mm-hmm. I just noticed even with the clothing she wears, it's so different from the other suburban moms that are in her, that are in her neighborhood that she just moved into. Was that intentional? Like her, her, everybody's wearing bright, oh, flashy yeah. colors and, and yeah, <laughs> I love how the, and that yeah, really absolutely. makes a difference. Yeah. And she also has kind of a clothing arc, you know, as she kind of become, you know, starts off as a very kind of bohemian, you know, uh, progressive mom who kind of goes through this arc of kind of trying to become younger seeming. So her clothing does change throughout the film. But yeah, that she's the antithesis of a soccer mom thrust into a world of soccer moms. Right. Was kind of our, how we were going for it. That's brilliant. And then the other thing I find interesting whenever, when, when you're writing and directing is, is the casting of a film, right? Because, mm-hmm. uh, so you, so you write the script and, and you're greenlit to to make it happen. Now you've got to cast people for these roles that you've created for these characters. Yeah. But since you're the writer, you can probably maybe take some liberties to maybe write a character around um, an actor, maybe a little bit. Do you do you do a lot of changing once you have the once you have the actors cast? Well, you know, something being greenlit in the indie world is not really. Right. Something that happens anymore. I mean, really, you you write a script, you hope to get some great cast. The The real goal is to have some cast that will, you know, the annoying term in the biz is to move the needle for the financiers. And it doesn't always happen like that. Oh, so wow. You tr- yeah, you try to find the best people for you and that can make the financiers hap- happy. It doesn't always happen like that. I happen to know Deanna Russo. Um, she was in my circle of friends, and I would never dare, like, go to her and ask her, like, hey, you want to be in my movie? I sent her the script um, under a very, um, not false pretenses, <laughs> but I sent her the, the script in the thought, like, hey, you want to give me some notes? And she loved the script. And so I was like, yes. You know, like, I really, truly wanted her. And so it worked out in that sense. And she came on board. And then the rest of the cast, you know, we I just tried to find the best people for the parts. And the ice cream man obviously being the hardest one. We did try to get a name for that. And we had a name at a certain point for that role, which fell apart like last minute and thankfully so because Emil was amazing and I can't imagine anyone else playing that part um I think a lot of people worried it would be too silly and if you see the finished product it's like it's not silly but it's very kind of tongue-in-cheek and so you know as a writer director I I have it so in my head how I think it's gonna look and how it's gonna feel but I have I'm biased so when people are reading my stuff like they don't. They may not necessarily be picturing it in the same way that I am. Sure. Um, but 
Yeah, I mean, I, I stuck to my guns with casting with this one, and I think I think the cast is tremendous. Uh, I think Emil shines as the ice cream as the ice cream truck. Guy. I do too. He really does. He's actually, a, he's a classically trained Norwegian actor, and this manager I knew, you know, we'd had the actor for the part that fell apart, and this manager that I knew was like, "This, you got to just see this guy. I'm going to have him put himself on tape." He's amazing, and I was just like, whatever. Like, I mean, I was open to to seeing his audition, but, you know, I was thinking I had to have a name for this part, and financiers constantly told me, like, come back to me when you have the ice cream man. And I saw his audition, and I was like, I don't care what anybody thinks. Like, he's so incredible, and he gets it. He understands the combination of menace and kind of, Fun, a little bit funny sure. in a way that I don't think anyone else could have done. And I mean, we flew him out from Norway to do this. Like we were that sold. And, and I knew I could tell in his audition that he was kind of method, which only made that part stronger. Yeah. Yeah. You can see that even from the opening credits where you first see, where you, where you first see him. And I don't know if you shot yeah. that in order or if that was, you know, I know sometimes no, I know a lot like, of times things are shot out, but but the, even that opening sequence where he waves to Mary, it's like, oh, this guy's oh, yeah. good. This guy's it's good. It's so subtle, yeah. you know. And that's the thing is, people think you need to like hit everybody over the head with what you're trying to do. And I think audiences are so much smarter than we give them credit for. And so his subtleties are are, are great. I mean, I just I love watching him. And I know a lot of the reviews are like, we wish there was more a meal in it, it or more of the ice cream man. And it wouldn't have been right for the film, but like every day that he was on set was a good day. Cause I was so excited to like see what he was going to bring to the, you know, I wanted more of him too, but you know, you can't just force a character to be in a film more than they should be. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and a lot of times, you know, less is more. It makes you, you know, it makes you want more. Right. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Exactly. For sure. Um, so, so, um, the, the, the neighbors, the, the other women in the sub, mm-hmm. in the subdivision, they come off as, is is, is kind of annoying, you know, at least, at least at times. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, now is that, I, I know it's by design because you wrote it, but I know you, you're, you're kind of a, uh, like a Midwest suburban, you, you came up like in the, in the suburbs, right? So was that kind of your take on, am, on that? I'm from the suburbs of Detroit. Oh, right so, on. Perfect. And yeah. I, you guys I, apparently are from Chicago. Yes. So it's not that different. Um, yeah, I'm from the suburbs and I, you know, don't get me wrong. I love the suburbs, but I think being from the suburbs and, and, if you've never left the suburbs, there's a bubble that kind of happens. And for some people, you know, your bubble becomes a big thing. And you, you know, so I felt that was a story that I understood and I wanted to talk about how people act. And it's not all that different from high school when people are gossiping and talking about you. And I think there's a lot of that that goes on. Oh, so that absolutely. Was, you know, one of the horrors in my film. Yeah. And I, I don't think you could have found anybody that played those neighbors any better. I mean, it was just, um, it's just the, the characters are just great. I, I think they played them strong and, and, and it just, Thank you. to me, it just seemed like it, it had to been, it had to been a fun movie to shoot for, for them anyway, because it, it's like, right. 
I, I don't know how they were able to keep a straight face on some of the scenes. It's just it's just great. I know, right? <laughs> and they, I feel like they when you read the when you read the script, like it's funny, but I think the actors really delivered, and they you know they made it a lot funnier. And and I like to keep things as, as awkward as I can between my <laughs> actors. It's like a thing for me as a filmmaker, and it's like that in my first film as well because I feel like people are normally very more awkward with each other than most films depict. And so I like to put that in there for some reason. (laughs) So I don't like personally like small talk. So it shows on screen. (laughs) No, it's great. And I can't stand it either. It's just great when you're, you know, especially I think now, now at least anyway, it's like, I don't even know my neighbor's names. It seems like, so it's just kind of right. I know. I don't really either. (laughs) I know it's unfortunate, but. Um, so, so, um, so you're writing and directing. Do you have a preference? Are you, it seems like you're, you're more of a writer and that's more of your, 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 your background. Do you, do you like directing your own stuff or is it kind of a control? I, I love, I love directing actually, because I feel a lot of what ends up being in the finished product is not something I can put in a script. Right. So I feel. I definitely love directing because directing, I have my hands in the score. I have my hands in the edit. Um, all of that, the style, the wardrobe, all of that is like a composition. And I, I'm an artist first and foremost. So I understand, you know, the concept of, you know, having everything be cohesive to the story that you're trying to portray. So I, I do like all of it actually. Um, it's actually, it's, I think it's, I don't know how it is for other writer directors, but I think it's hard pitching a script if you're a writer and a director, because you're probably lazy a little bit in your, in your script writing, because you don't maybe, at least for me, I don't maybe put as much description as I should because it's all in my head and I know I'm going to do it. You know, I'm, I know I'm going to put that on the screen, whereas the reader may not necessarily be getting that. So, I mean, hopefully they get, you know, they get it. But whereas like a writer, writer who never directs, like their scripts are beautiful and so complex. And I probably don't do that as much as they do because I don't have to worry about selling it to some director. Right. You know, or convincing a director. I'm like, oh, I, I'll figure it out later. <laughs> you know, like I got this. So it's a different thing. And I've, I've heard stories like actors in interviews where they, where they maybe, uh, took a movie that, that didn't do well in the box office, but the script was amazing and it just didn't, the, 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 totally. the director couldn't, you know, get that vision there. So it's kind of right. cool that you get to do that. Well, and dialogue is dialogue. So like my dialogue is always going to be there. And if people are reading the script and they get the dialogue and get what's going on within the story, like they're going to come on if they like the project. I mean, everyone who came on to this project came on because they loved the script. So I'm not trying to poo-poo my script. I'm just saying that I think my finished product was probably better than the script because I like so many other elements of film and I like shaping a film with all of those artistic, you know, things that come later that we don't think about. So, sure. So, um, that said, do you, do you tend to give actors a a little bit of leeway with the script or do you prefer the, they, they they read a scene just as you wrote it? Or do you give them a couple I'm shots, co- let's do it that way, and then I'm you try I'm very it. collaborative. Um, I'm very collaborative, but mood is a big thing for me, and if you've seen the 
film, obviously, you like atmosphere and mood. Like, you can do whatever you want as long as it stays within that kind of tone. Because, sure. and, I, and I think I'm adamant about that because I mix genres. And because when you're mixing comedy and violence, it's, it's really hard to do. So, like, your through line has to be the same. So I'm very adamant that it all kind of has that kind of same thick atmosphere. And that's, that affects the acting a little bit. But, I mean, I think our actors nailed it. I mean, Deanna Russo is amazing in this movie. Like, I'm so excited for everybody to see how incredible she is. She really was. She blew me away in that movie. And I was trying to. Right? Yeah. I was, I was like, I'm like, where have I seen her before? And I was looking at her. She, right. just, she, she just is, she really is like a perfect fit for that role. I think, um, yeah. you know, and she's in so many things, but I don't, she hasn't really like, I mean, not many actors, you know, I, I mean, I feel like not that many actors get to carry an entire movie. Right. And she carried this entire movie. I think she was in every, almost every scene. Yeah. So, I mean, that's a huge undertaking. Yeah. That's and and, uh, and, and I'll tell you, that's, it's something where, I don't know how many people you auditioned for that, but I know you said you gave her the script under the guise of, no, hey, can I you give audition. me some notes? No, I didn't audition anybody. <laughs> that's awesome. So that, I mean, that's rare too. <laughs> we did rehearsals. I'm a big fan of rehearsals, especially when you're working like with indie budgets. Like you don't, you don't really have the time to not have rehearsals. Like you, you know, usually like this movie was shot in 15 days. Wow. So you have to get it right. And so it's important to do rehearsals because you can, then they all know what I'm looking for. Right. You know? So then when they're on the day, they, they get it. And so if the rehearsals are not initially what they thought, then they quickly learn, you know, what it's going to be. And then, so everyone is so prepared and it just becomes more efficient. And then they can really kind of hone the details within their parts. Then when we get to shooting, Sure. Yeah, I don't understand why people wouldn't do rehearsals. Like it's so valuable. Yeah, that's and and I think you can you can make a lot of uh, make a lot of decisions before you get to shooting when you do that too. So that's like you yeah. said, when you have a short window, that's pretty amazing. So where was this movie filmed? This movie was filmed in the suburbs of Los Angeles. It was northern in uh, the main house was in a area called Porter Ranch. Um, I tried to find, you know, what could look the most Midwestern, even though it's not technically supposed to be Midwest. It ended up just being kind of any town USA, but sure. I wanted it to have that suburban feel and it's hard to find that <laughs> super close to LA. So this was probably maybe like 45 minutes North. Oh, that's not too bad. And, um, yeah. And then there were like one house was in Pasadena and the park was in Glendale so, yeah, we just scouted some great places, and I think there were only like five locations yeah i i i love the i love there's there's so much that goes into this, so how much does music play a part the score of music a film is a like big that. thing for me i it may not play a part for everybody, but i love i'm a big music fan, so um I love music and it i think it's very important and I like very very stylish music i'm a big fan of um, Dario Argento okay. and so I love his movies like Deep Red and Suspiria and how the music is so strong that it's almost like a character so I try to do that too um, 
so yeah, so I think Michael Boateng did our score, and I think he really killed it. Like it's really, it's really a fun score. Um, we we had a lot of different inspirations from the '80s, and and uh, yeah, I think it's great. It's it's just important because, especially if you know, I work in the horror space, but I'm not super bloody and gory, and a lot of things that I'm doing are scary, but they're kind of more subtle scares. So the music is really important because the music is going to help you help let the audience know that you're supposed to feel scared, even though there's not something so obvious going on. Right. Right. And even it's like, it sets the tone, even from the opening scene in the opening credits where you pan down from the sky and there's just kind of Mm -hmm. this high pitched kind of thing going on. Yeah. And and how great was that? He did an amazing job on that. Oh, it was great. And that whole opening sequence kind of remind me a little Shaun of the Dead kind of feel. Oh, nice. That's a great compliment. Yeah. So, so I was like, oh, I'm going to like this right away. Um, so then, uh, you, you get through the, 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 the writing and the casting and, and, and you've got everything on film. Um, so then you get to the editing part. Now, mm-hmm. how how anal can you be about that? Because I, I would imagine myself as like a perfectionist. Like I, everything's got to be right and then yeah. up 24 yeah, hours. And I, I know I know <laughs> directors that are like that. I I have a great editor named Eric Potter who did, you know, like he's done one of the Underworld movies. He uh, did The Lincoln Lawyer. I mean, he's a huge editor. I, I let him do his thing and he sent and then he gives me a pass. And then I can tell right away. I mean, if you have a good script supervisor, they're going to tell the editor all your favorite takes. So, and then you watch it and then you can tell, I can tell which takes I don't like. And so then I go and look for the other takes, (laughs) you know, (laughs) what are better. Like, so when it comes to like action stuff, like I leave that to the pros. Um, I'm far more anal about performance than I am about the editing, like editing of action sequences and stuff that's more technical. Sure. Um, I, I think editors like to be left alone. Uh, I'm sure not everybody does it that way, but that's, I've worked with Eric now twice and it's a great working experience because I let him do his thing. I give him my thoughts and then you know, I remember one thing in particular that I had written in the script and he changed it and I saw the edit and I'm like, no, 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 that's not how it was. And I'm like, this is how it is in the script. And I gave him the, the takes and then he resent that kind of vignette back to me of how I thought it should go. And he was totally right. He was right. It, it didn't work how I wanted it. So you have to trust the people that are experts in their field. And I think some directors, you know, maybe get, I don't know, think they know everything, but you don't know, you don't know everything. And that's why you have your department heads to be the best that they can be in their field. And so, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty loose with that. I, I know the specific things that will bug the crap out of me. And other than that, you know, I let them do their thing. So is that like a team that, that you try and work with on, on other films you do, or is it different every, every go around? Well, my my first film, Rebound, was a very low-budget um, film, and it was my first film that I, I had ever done as a writer-director. And I had a great team, especially in post-production, and my cinematographer also came from that movie. And so, yeah, I brought the whole team with me onto this one. So I now don't have to search for a bunch of people 
every time I do a film, I'm just going to keep using the same people, which is kind of an amazing thing for an independent filmmaker. Oh, yeah. Well, so then I don't, you have I, don't like a, to, I don't have to do any of that anymore. Yeah, and it's nice because you have a certain comfort level, and then you know the more you work together, the more they know what what you want without you having to say it. And, right. And, and, and totally. like you said, you have a trust in them to to get it done. Yeah, and, and it also, like, it turns out that if you're a nice person and you appreciate the people that uh, you're working with, they want to work with you again. Yeah, isn't that <laughs> amazing? <laughs> I, you know, and I mean, I appreciate them and they helped me out when I was doing a really small movie and I didn't really know what I was doing. And so now we get to all kind of go on at least this journey for me together. You know, they're all doing other stuff, but you know, it's, it's been a really wonderful collaborative thing with them. And I didn't have anybody doing post-production when I did my first film. I had no idea about it. I had been a producer for a decade and I, had never really dealt with post-production before. So now I don't ever have to deal with post-production. Like, I just, like, call them up. You're ready to go, you know, with every film. So it's, it's, a, it's a cool thing. That's that's awesome. So how do you balance? How do you balance? I mean, you're 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 a mom. You're a, mm-hmm. a director, producer. You're writing. How do you balance all of this? Because it seems like it's s- hard <laughs> spinning plates <laughs> all the time, doing podcast interviews and all that fun stuff. Yeah. <laughs> um, is you know you just make it work. I mean, the one thing I can say is that people always say like, if you need something done, go give it to a busy person. <laughs> right. You know, that's like the thing that people say because you tend to know how to multitask better if you're busy. But um, I don't know. I, I'm i persistent, and I got into this business to make movies. And I thought that my way to do that was to be a producer, which I still produce other things that, are, that I don't write and direct. But what I found is that if I'm wearing more hats, I've had more. I'm able to get things done quicker. There's less cooks in the kitchen, I guess. Um, so that was kind of how that happened. And I, and I love, I love making movies and I love directing and I love being on set. So I use make it work. And my husband fortunately has a more practical job. So he, you know, can help me balance it. And he, used to be an actor, so I can also then put him in my movies. <laughs> so, <laughs> you awesome. know, he can live vicariously through my crazy career. You know, <laughs> it's hard when you're both doing something um, a little bit with more ups and downs. It's good if you have one person that has some more stability. It doesn't always work out that way. But, yeah, I have a two-year-old and a five-year-old. So oh, my. You know, they're up at like 530 in the morning. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and, no joke. And that means you're up at five thirty in the morning. Yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> but you know, if you really want to make something happen, you can find the time um, sure. to do it. I, you know, I, I know it's talked about that my grandfather was Elmore Leonard. Um, he, when he was starting out writing, he worked at an advertising agency, and he used to get up at five in the morning and write before going to work. And I've also heard stories about that he would secretly, like, write with, like, his hands in his desk so people wouldn't see him. And it's just, like, it's a good lesson to know that, like, if you really want to make it happen, you'll figure out a way. You know, you can't make excuses because it's not really serving anybody. 
Right, you know, right. You're in charge of you, and you're in charge of how hard you work to achieve whatever it is that you want to achieve. Yeah, and it's funny that you bring that up because I, I was I was on the fence on whether or not I wanted to bring that up. And 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 yeah. Elmore uh, Leonard was your grandfather, you know, obviously a mm-hmm. very famous writer. Um, anything you could think of from you know Three Ten to Yuma, Jackie Brown, all, I mean, just classics. Um, yeah, a that, that, that's that's a. Is, do you feel like that's a lot to live up to, or do you feel like um, do you, do you feel like any kind of well, uh, cross to, to bear on to that? that? Yeah, but, but I do think that what's nice about it is that it, it opens doors, but what you do in those doors is entirely up to you. Like that's literally like the door can close just as quickly as it opens. Oh yeah. Um, but I but I think that when you have someone successful in your family in any capacity, it teaches you that you can't bullshit. Like you you can't make excuses and that you can attain goals if you try hard enough. And there are a lot of success other successful people in my family, um, creatively successful. So it just shows you, you know, hard work and pers- perseverance can can make it happen for you. So that's, that's the benefit of that. I don't think anyone's going to, I mean, how can you, that's like comparing yourself to Stephen King. Yeah, exactly. That's what (laughs) I was going to say. You know, I don't think anyone's trying to do that, but, but there's definitely a creative force in my family. So it's just what you do with that creative gene is, is up to you. Any, uh, any tricks to overcoming writer's block? You ever get that? I got to imagine. Well, Elmore, Elmore did not believe in writer's block. Really? I don't, yeah. I don't necessarily believe in writer's block either. I feel like if you're like not really in the mood, then just, you know, do it another day. Like I can tell right away if I'm in the mood or not. And if I'm in the mood and I can feel the buzz, you know, like the, I get like a writer's buzz. Like it's a very weird thing. I don't, outline a script at all I I just start writing and like I get my whole family out of the house like go get out of here (laughs) get out of here (laughs) I mean I literally have to do that and then I have coffee and then I just I just write and and then I see where I'm the story is going it's like a dump like I can do I can do a first draft in a week Wow. It's a short first draft. It's like probably a 70-page first draft, but I can write a 70-page first draft in a week easily. Oh, my gosh. Um, but it's because, you know, I'm just, but I write as a viewer. I'm picturing the story. I'm not, I'm not trying to write some sort of contrived perfect story, and you can tell really quick if your story is working or not. And if it's working, you just want to keep going and see where it's going. So I like, for me... I like to get it to the end because I don't know where my story is ending until I'm done writing it. And then I go back in and kind of plump it up. Sure. Gotcha. So that's how it works. I don't know what other people's, you know, processes are. Um, but that's what works for me. Just let it flow out. Yeah. That's awesome. Just let it flow and then come back and kind of fill in. Well, you just let your characters just, like, go for a walk, you know? Like, you just let them do their thing and and see what happens. So, you know, other people may do it differently. That's how... But I'm also a painter, so that's how I paint, too, you know? So when I was an artist, I would just, like, get in the zone, and I would just go until I was was done. And... 
it's I feel like it's a little similar. Yeah, the, you know the 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 I I kind of get that too sometimes where I can't stop something once I start it. Especially you get right. that you get that energy going. It's like uh, I'll I'll stay up till you know four in the morning or however long it takes until I can't go anymore. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's and actually a great space creative, to be in. <laughs> yeah, and I feel like most creative people should stay in that space and recognize when they're in that space because sometimes you go to try to write and you're like just staring at it and it's not happening. And so to me, that's the time to like, okay, go do something else that you need to do productive because you're like clearly not in the headspace. If you keep going to check your social media or like whatever it is that you're like allowing yourself to be sidetracked by, then it's today's not the day, you know? Right. So. And so why force that? Because you can tell when you're forcing it. Yeah. And it, and it comes off, I'm sure, on paper too, if you're writing and trying to force I'm it. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Well, anytime anyone, and I have a colleague of mine that's a producer that has given me, like, outlines, like, hey, this is the kind of movie we want to do. You write it. And I'll write (laughs) write it in the constraints of this outline. And I'm like, this is the biggest piece. (laughs) I I can't do this. Like, this doesn't feel right to me at all. Like, and I'll do it, you know, and I've written scripts that way. But they're not nearly as good, I don't think. Um, because I'm writing it for somebody else. I'm writing it into like a formula and it, it doesn't work like that. Yeah. No, that's, maybe, maybe it works for some, but maybe. And I think formula is good. Like I understand the horror formula now. And so it just comes easily within my own organic process. So I think just writing, practicing is good for any writer even even if it's not like your best script or you don't do anything with it, it's good to just practice. Like, so I'm not saying don't write, even if it's hard. But I think that you know when you're on to something. Right. You know, you know when you're like feeling something that you're writing that you're like, this is it or this is good. You can tell the difference. Right. Right. Yeah. No. You can see in as a as a reader or you know somebody that 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 that, that watches something, you can tell that too. Um, that's mm-hmm. usually pretty pretty transparent. The one one thing I gotta I gotta bring up too, and you can follow uh, Megan on Twitter uh, at number one Megan. Uh, you had tweeted something a while back that I found very interesting, and I th- and you said it was your first producing gig, and there's a picture of um, uh, with uh, Eric Stoltz. I know. I'm te- <laughs> yeah, I'm terrible at Twitter on my own Twitter feed because I run my Rebound Films Twitter and. Mostly, I run the Ice Cream Trucks Twitter, so, like, my own Twitter account is, like, mostly crickets. But, yes, I'm trying to be better. <laughs> but, yes. That's a great first producing gig. You get to work with Eric Stoltz. Yeah. I mean, we're we're probably close to the same age. I, th- I I think I read. I don't want to assume, but I thought I thought you read some of your. I'm mid- 39. Mid- yes. I'm 39. So I'm right I there know, with you. The big four zero. And Eric yeah. Eric Stoltz is a big deal for our generation. So I thought uh, huge, <laughs> huge. I loved some kind of wonderful. Yeah. He had a cameo in Single. Um, I I was a director's assistant to John Madden on an Elmore Leonard movie called Kill Shot. And mind you, I had worked my way up in many Devil Wears Prada type jobs in the business of <laughs> being an imagine. assistant. <laughs> I've had horrifying jobs and I had done it for years. And so finally, so then I get an opportunity to work for the director, John Madden, who is like maybe one of the most amazing humans on the planet. 
Like, it was like winning the lottery. He was so nice. Oh, wow. And so I go to Canada and work on this movie. And the movie, I I would say the first cut of this movie is fantastic. The studio meddled with it a little bit. And there's a lot of great stuff in it. But um, I, I'm the most partial to the director's cut. But Joseph Gordon-Levitt was in it. And we became friends. And... I was, you know, in my 20s, and uh, my producing partner at the time and I decided to do a short film based on an Elmore Leonard project called Sparks. And Sparks is, you know, even though it would be a short film, it, it still would be almost 30 minutes. So it was like a long short film. Sure. And so Joe, you know, wanted to start directing, and this was before his, you know, feature directorial debut. And you can find Sparks online. It's really a fun kind of Michelle Gondry type piece. Um, he made it very artistic. And it stars Carla Gugino and Eric Stoltz. Um, Channing Tatum even has a cameo, who I didn't even know who he was at the time, which oh, is wow. really funny. <laughs> he plays a police officer in it. And so, yeah, that was my first, my first producing gig, which was, you know, I got into Sundance. It was a lot to live up to. Let me tell you, there were some walls <laughs> after that. <laughs> the leaf, you know? And then I'm like, now what do I do? But yeah, it was a really good experience. And I am a huge Eric Stoltz fan. And Carla is like also a dream. Um, but yeah, and it's like a 30 minute kind of character piece about these two people. Um, Eric Stoltz is investigating Carla Cugino's character for arson. Really? Um, that she hated her. Yeah, you should watch it. Yeah, that she hated all her stuff. And so she lit it on fire for the insurance money. And it's a really funny kind of quirky 30-minute short film. And, uh, yeah, it's really cool. We will and definitely Joe find that incredible. <laughs> yeah, Joe adapted it. Joe did a lot of the music for it. And he directed it. And he's just a jack-of-all-trades. We used to, we called him the Joe of all trades. The Joe of all trades. And, yeah. <laughs> and he is a really, really talented, amazing guy. And yeah, it was a really fun project. And we did that. I think it was in Sundance in 2009. Oh, wow. wow. So, That's, that seems, it seems it like it's not ago. that long ago, but it's almost 10 years ago. Wow. Yeah. It's I know. Coming for up. us. For yeah. us, it feels like yesterday, but it's really, you know, <laughs> right. that's how I feel. <laughs> I know. And I've done, you know, and I've done a lot of other projects. Like I've had movies set up at studios like Fox Searchlight that went into Turnaround. I had a movie or a TV show at USA that we shot the pilot and get picked up. So I got really frustrated, you know, not having more stuff to show for it. So that was what actually triggered me to become a filmmaker myself because I was just like, it was like pure desperation. I'm like, I got into this business to make movies and nothing is happening. And, you know, it doesn't matter if you have a million people attached to projects, if your projects aren't going, you know, that's very Even true. Though that's all work you've done. doesn't matter. So if, yeah. And if nobody sees it, it doesn't get out or whatever. Right. Exactly. Yeah. So, well, it seems like yeah. uh, the the uh, the filmmaking career is off to an amazing start. I mean this 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 movie is a lot of fun, and uh, I recommend I recommend people see it. Uh, where where could be so the ice cream truck? Uh, August right next month. This it's month it's going to be August eighteenth. Yeah, August eighteenth in select theaters in L.A. and then it will also be on VOD like a day and day release. 
And then it'll be on DVD, I think, in November. Gotcha. And then probably Redbox and all of that. But, yeah, August 18th, you should ch- everyone should check it out wherever you can rent a film. That's awesome, so everyone yeah. has their preference these days. I'm an Amazon person, even though I'm a Mac user. I'm like, for whatever reason, all of my movies are on Amazon. And, and Amazon's a great place to to see. We had we had some uh, we we had one of the guys from uh, Sneaky Pete on, and, and Amazon's just a great oh, okay. place. So they they're doing some really fun stuff. And everybody's got everybody shops at Amazon, so you're already there, and but might once, as well check but out the once movie. You have your video library somewhere, technically, you know. Mm-hmm. Once you start in one of the platforms, you, that's where you are forever. Yeah, no, <laughs> that's I'm so finding. true. Yeah. I have like 3,000 Amazon movies, so like I don't have anything on iTunes or Google Play because everything's on Amazon. Yeah, yeah, and everybody's already shopping there anyway, and who, you know, you might as well. Where is it? Where are all your electronic movies that you own? Oh boy, you know what? I got them uh, spread I, out. There, you know. I shouldn't even say that. I put everything I had, I used to own on DVD up on uh, on iTunes, but everything I watch now, okay. it's uh, uh-huh. it's usually. It's whoever's got it. If it's Netflix or Amazon, I'm not. I, uh-huh. But I don't download them. I'll, I'll rent them. And and right. But that's just you know that's just me. But do uh, you have kids? I do. I do. Older though, seven okay. seventeen. And, okay. and we and we actually watch this together, which is kind of funny. Oh really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not that scary. No, it was good. It was fun. It was. It's a great movie. I th- I thought it was. I thought it was a lot of fun. Oh, by the way, my son is the neighbor's son in the beginning. Oh, are you serious? The, in the pool? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Not because I want him to be an actor, but because he was cheap labor. <laughs> that's so funny. That's so funny. He did a great job. He did uh, a great job. And he, yeah, that's uh, <laughs> that's funny. I was Isn't wondering that about funny? that. Yeah, yeah. Uh huh. Well, yeah, that's my son, Miles. Well, they, <laughs> well, well, the movie is Ice Cream Chuck, so you can check it out August eighteenth. Uh, we'll we'll make sure to tweet out the info and and, yeah, awesome. and where it's out and, and and all that, and make sure you follow Megan number at number one Megan, and I'm sure you can follow the Ice Cream Truck on Twitter and uh, and all that stuff. Megan, uh, it's been such a pleasure and great job out there yeah, representing the Midwest. <laughs> Yeah, thank you. Thank and, you. Yeah, Michigan born and raised. Yeah, and keep us in mind on the next project. We look forward to uh, what you got coming up. So We will. Awesome. All Thanks right. for having us. All Everybody right. watch the movie. Talk to you later. All right, thank you. Yep. Okay. Bye. Bye. Well, there you go. Writer, director, producer, Megan Friels Johnston, the ice cream truck. Keep an eye out for that. August 18th. We'll make sure to tweet it out. She's definitely an up-and-coming writer, director, um, out there representing the Midwest, I love that. Out in L.A. representing the Midwest from uh, the suburbs of Detroit. Uh, definitely keep an eye out for anything she's attached to because very talented. The Ice Cream Truck is a fun watch, so keep an eye out for it. Definitely. Uh, Amazon, anywhere you watch movies, VOD, whatever it is, uh, make sure you check it out. We'll make sure to tweet out the information for sure, at Bill and Dave Show. Thank you so much for listening. Make sure you give us a rating. Hopefully uh, it's five stars, but if it's one star, that's what it is. You know, we'll, we'll take anything. It all helps. Uh, we'll catch you next time. Well, I'm not Peace. Mad. I'm just bored. And everything I do is only because there's nothing much else for me to do. And that includes you. And that includes you. Potential every day
I'm wasted every day. There's nothing much else for me to do. And that includes you. And that includes you. Everyone I know